I want to share a word with you before we get into the word, and uh, it's in Mark chapter 10. Thank you. See, I shouldn't have thanked you so soon. Now I drew attention to you. Thank you. Mark chapter 10, Jesus is talking with his disciples, and in fact, he had just, he had just made a, a pretty wild statement. The statement was this. He said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. A lot of times, Jesus would speak in uh, hyperbole in these big statements that kind of arrest people's attention, and in response to that, here's what... Peter said, it says Mark chapter 10 verse 28, Peter spoke up, we have left everything to follow you. Then he said, Jesus said, truly I tell you, no one has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, can we all say those words together? In this present age, he said, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions. We'd rather not have that part, but it's coming too. And in the age to come, eternal life. Now, I want to ask you, where in the world does a person receive a hundred children and a hundred mothers? Only in the church. Isn't it good to be a part of the family of God? Amen? Amen. Only in the church. God has truly blessed us and with some incredible church family. We asked some of the kids some questions about mom, and uh, Val put together uh, some of their answers. This is not all of the kids in our church, but it's a representation of them. Before we get into the word, I want you to watch this video real quick. She's a dentist. She's really nice when she cooks really good. Um, that she does most everything for me. Makes me a ham sandwich. That she works so hard and she always tries to 
that she's really pretty and she's good at pretty much everything. Use it online at new clothes for Easter, probably. Help homeless people. Rings created with their eggs. Buy a mansion. Buy McDonald's. <laughs> she would say that. Spend it. Give it to me! <laughs> She always tells me that. Don't get me squishies. Because every time we snuggle on the couch together, gives me a hug. Because <laughs> she shows it. Because she likes me with her heart. She always does stuff for me. Um, she says she loves me. Because I know. So grateful for the kids in this church, aren't you? Amen. Moms, we do love you today. I want to speak to you this morning about wisdom. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 13, let this set the stage for the value of our topic today. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding. For she, wisdom, is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Can I just tell you today that God's plan for your life is that you grow. Last week, we, we talked about that a little bit using the metaphor. And when I say a little bit, I mean a little bit in the 9 o'clock service. Psalm 1 gives us the image of a tree. and We talked about how it's positioned by the streams, how it's planted with deep roots, and how it's producing fruit. God's desire is that we be like that tree, that we would grow, that we would be positioned by Jesus, the stream, the fountain of life, that we would be producing much fruit, and that we would be planted with deep, established roots that go down deep. And let me just tell you this morning, one of the ways that God wants you to grow, that he wants us to grow, is in wisdom. In our life group series, show me your hands quick. How many of you are involved in a life group already? Yes, awesome. Hands are going up everywhere. Listen, if if you're a part of the life group series, you know we've been talking through how to grow the way Jesus grew. The Bible says in Luke 2.52, Jesus grew in wisdom, first and foremost, in wisdom. And then he grew in stature and in favor with God and with man. And throughout this year, we've been doing some teaching series on Sunday morning about those four areas of growth. Today, I want to hone in on growing in wisdom. It's God's plan for your life. In fact, that story in Luke chapter 2 tells us how Jesus began. If you've got your Bible, I, I want you to open it with me there to the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. This is a portion of Scripture we've looked at a couple times already this year on Sunday morning. But I want to begin there again today. It says in verse 41, Luke 2, 41. 
every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. They did it every year, by the way. There's some patterns for good parenting you can pick up here along the way. There was consistency. It says in the next verse, when he was 12 years old, talking about Jesus, they went up to the festival, festival according to the custom. You see that there? there? There's a pattern. Jesus was not surprised when his parents told him we're going to church. Amen? What? Is it Easter already? No, no, no. It was the custom. They just went to the house of the Lord. After the festival was over, it says in verse 43, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. And then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. So this is a grace verse for all you parents that have left your children somewhere. How many of you have been there before? All right, so uh, I know we set the standard really high. Some of you are like, oh my goodness, I'm never going to live up to the words in that card that I read today. Listen, Jesus' parents left him for three days. You're not that bad, okay? <laughs> three days. I was being reminded by my oldest daughter this week of when I left after church one night, and, uh, and I left her at the church. I thought her mom had her. Her mom thought I heard her when she said she's with you. I'm not really sure if she said that or not. Honestly, I'm not, I'm not giving her that entirely, but that's the way I'm told the story happened. Jesus' parents left him in Jerusalem for three days. Then it goes on to say, after three days, they found him in the temple courts. He was sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And if you're in one of the life groups, you know as we talked about wisdom, those three ways are the ways that we see Jesus getting wisdom. He was sitting among teachers. He was asking them questions. He was listening to them. Do you want to get wisdom this morning? Amen. You know, listen, I'm going to be faithful to, to send the word. I've done the, the work of mining the word out today. But how many of you understand that, that as a congregation, as a listener, you come to church with an obligation? It's up to you. The Bible says, Jesus said many times, he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. So let me just say at the onset, in spite of my fallib fallibility and, and limited vocabulary, in fact, I may have even made up a word right there in saying that. Fallib is that a word? <laughs> Fallacies? Fallibility? I don't know. In spite of all of my shortcomings, the Spirit is speaking today. He is speaking. Will we have ears to hear it? Jesus was listening. He wanted to learn. The Bible says in the next verse, verse 47, Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. And then his parents, when his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Look at the response. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he was saying to them. You ever felt like that, parents? I thought that would be a great theme verse for uh, the one and two-year-old nursery, you know, because <laughs> those one and two-year-olds, they come up and they start talking to you, and you don't have a clue what they're saying. Like, we should just paint this verse on the wall. They did not understand what he was saying, Luke 2.50. 
I always thought another great verse for nursery would be that one in 1 Corinthians 15 that talks about the resurrection. We should put that on the wall in the infant nursery. It says, we shall not all sleep, but we will all be changed. <laughs> Jesus' parents didn't understand what he was saying. Think about this. At 12 years old, Jesus had more of a grasp on the will of God for his life, on the identity that he carried as the son of God, than even his parents did. And that's what's so amazing about the next verse. Verse 51 says this. Then... He went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Even though Jesus had more of a grasp on what God was doing and where he was supposed to be than his own imperfect parents who lost him for three days, he still obeyed them. Jesus was submitted to hearing God's voice through imperfect people. That's what I need you to do this morning. <laughs> to be willing to hear God's voice through imperfect people. But it doesn't just stop with the preacher. God wants to speak to your life. He certainly wants to do it through parents, as he did in Jesus' life. It's no surprise that the next verse tells us, verse 52, that Jesus grew in wisdom. One of the ways he grew in wisdom was by listening to wise counsel. He didn't just obey his parents on this day. This verse is a snapshot of all of his life. He listened and he obeyed his parents. That was the pattern of his life. And even into his adult years, as he outgrew obedience, he never outgrew honor. How many of you know honor is always appropriate no matter how old you are, no matter how old your parents are? The Bible says honor those who are in authority over you. Jesus never outgrew honor. And so when we fast forward 18 years, you see in the Gospel of John, chapter 2, Jesus is now 30 years old. And he's beginning his ministry. And this is the recording of his first miracle. John, chapter 2, it begins by saying, On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Jesus mother was there and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding when the wine was gone Jesus mother said to him they have no more wine woman why do you involve me now I know that sounds harsh in our culture but that wasn't that wasn't uh, he wasn't being critical of his mom when he called her woman I don't recommend you do that <laughs> culture you know why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. So here's what's happening. Jesus is getting ready to start his ministry. He's already started gathering his disciples. In fact, he has six of them with him. They probably spent the last two days traveling about 30 miles to get to this wedding. Jesus is there. His mother's there. We don't know much about the wedding. We don't even know who was getting married. We don't know if Mary was uh, related to the wedding party, if she was the wedding coordinator, or maybe she was just really attentive, as most moms are. She noticed that they were out of wine, and she brought it to Jesus' attention. The great thing about this story, I think the lack of details emphasizes the whole meaning of the story. The meaning of the story is down in verse 11. It says, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples 
believed in him. So this is a moment that the disciples are going to be begin to believe in Jesus for who he really is. Not just a good teacher that invited them to come along, but something more. He's starting to reveal his glory in this moment. What's so amazing about this story is that, you know, when Mary brings it to Jesus' attention, he says, my hour has not yet come. But Mary doesn't believe that's the case. And so she does something. She gives him a, a nudge. She gives him a little nudge. Look at it in, in verse 5. Jesus said, my, my hour's not come. It's not time for me to do miracles. And so mom just says to the servants that are there, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. And, and that was enough. She didn't tell Jesus what to do. He's a 30-year-old man. He's past that point. But he does honor his mom. He values her insight. He values her opinion. And when he said, it's not time for me, she said to the servants, well, just, just do what Jesus tells you to do. And that little nudge was enough. The Bible says in the next few verses that Jesus commanded those servants to go and get water vessels and fill them up to the brim with water and to take those, uh, that water to the head table at the banquet. He said, take it to the master of the banquet. They took that water and, and they ladled it out and they gave him a drink. And when he drank that water, it miraculously had turned into wine. And the, the day was saved. The cool thing is it wasn't even a miracle of salvation. It was just a face-saving miracle. I mean, it was just they were out of wine. But to the bride and groom, this made all the difference in the world. And for Jesus, it was the beginning. It was a, a catalyzing moment of what God wanted to do. And what I want to say to you to, is that Jesus had that moment in response to the nudge of his mom. But he didn't respond because he heard his mom's voice. He responded because he heard God speaking through his mom. And if you're going to get wisdom, you need to understand this today. God wants to speak to you through other voices. I know that sounds a little mysterious. It's a lot safer to just say God just speaks through the word, but it's simply not true. God wants to speak to you through other voices. God will use many methods to speak if we'll listen. You know, that's why last Sunday, as we welcomed and celebrated new members into this church family, I said to them from this place, I said, we trust the Holy Spirit in you. Because we understand that the, the Spirit of God gifts the body of Christ through the works of the ministry. And, and they're all varying in their gifting. And they're all varying in their flow of gifting. You may have the same gift as somebody else, but you may operate in it completely different. That's why I just have to laugh when, when we have evangelist Ron Rhodes preach. And he gets up and he preaches something. And he says something that I've said before. And yet people that heard me say it many times respond and say, wow, God spoke to me so powerfully. I just have to go, really? Amen. But I'm joking. I don't get upset about that. What I realize is that the anointing flows through vessels differently. You need to know if you're going to get wisdom, you need to not limit yourself to one vessel to drink from. Because God wants to speak to you through many Voices And so, so Mary brought the need to Jesus, and she didn't just want to inform him. She wanted a miracle. 
I mean, she had this sense that this could be a God moment in his life. I don't know if you've ever felt that for somebody else, that you just sensed that God wanted to do something in them, for them, through them. And so you took that step of obedience of the Holy Spirit to nudge them in that direction. Now, now there would be a time when even the Pharisees would be so familiar with Jesus and the way that he ministered that they would anticipate his miracles. The, the Bible says in Mark 3, verse 2, it says some of them, the Pharisees, were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. That, that's amazing to me. They didn't have enough faith to believe in him for the Son of God, but they had enough observation to see that he was a miracle-working Savior. But Mary didn't just anticipate a miracle. She anticipated the first one. Something that had never been done before. She saw something in Jesus and called it out in him. And God spoke through her in that moment that this is the time and this is the place. There's people that God uses to call out greatness in you. There's people that God uses to call out giftings in you. There's people that God will use to call out your potential even if you don't see it. Even if you don't think it's time yet. The Spirit of God is speaking. The question is, are we listening for His voice? Jesus didn't just hear His mother. He heard His Father that day. God used her to nudge Him into His miraculous ministry. It was Richard Fowler and Cass Sunstein who coined the concept with their best-selling book, Nudge. A nudge means encouraging and guiding behavior without mandating or instructing it. In fact, Pastor Chris didn't know what I was preaching on today, but he mentioned earlier the, the next step card. He said, we want to nudge you. He even used that phrase. We want to nudge you to take the next step in your faith. That's a, that card sits there. You see it. It stares at you every week. That's a nudge. It's something that encourages and guides behavior without mandating it. We had a meeting this week with our uh, Vacation Bible School leaders, and somebody asked me the question about a phrase that I had designed on the cards last year that said, uh, this is a free event, register online, first 100 kids. And they said, are we going to cap it off at 100? I said, no, that was just a nudge to get people to register early so we can plan. If they see the first 100, maybe they'll go, oh, I better hurry up and sign up. It's, it's a nudge. The best example I, I ever heard of, of a nudge, uh, is in the men's restroom at Skyfall Airport in Amsterdam. The restroom designer etched the image of a black housefly into each urinal in the men's room. It reduced spillage by 80%. According to the designer, if a man sees a fly, he aims at it. That's a nudge. If you can quickly move past my illustration, the Bible says in Hebrews 10 verse 24, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. You know, to spur one another on just means to nudge. 
to nudge one another. When someone speaks a word of encouragement into your life at the right moment, that's, that word can make all the difference. It's, it's a nudge from God. I read a story recently about Mary Ann Bird. She was born in Brooklyn, New York in August 1928. A severe cleft palate required 17 surgeries for Marianne, but the psychological pain that it caused was far worse. Marianne couldn't do the simple things such as blowing up a balloon or drinking water out of a water fountain. Worst of all, her classmates teased her relentlessly. Marianne was also deaf in one ear, so on the day of the annual hearing test, it was always her least favorite day of the school year. But it was one of those least favorite days that turned into a defining moment in Marianne's life. The whisper test isn't done in schools any longer, so I'll explain how it goes. A student would come up to the teacher's desk and, and they would whisper a phrase into the child's ear. They might say something like, the sky is blue, or those are new shoes. And if the student repeated the phrase successfully, he passed the hearing test. To avoid humiliation from failing the test, Marianne would try to cheat by, by cupping her good ear so that she could still hear the words that the teacher was whispering. She didn't need to do that on the year that she had Miss Leonard, the most beloved teacher in the school. I waited for those words Marianne would write, which God must have put into her mouth. Those seven words which changed my life. Miss Leonard didn't choose a random phrase that day. Instead, she leaned across the desk. She got as close as she could to Marianne's good ear, and she whispered, I wish you were my little girl. The Heavenly Father spoke through that teacher's whisper. That's a nudge. That's a moment where God speaks into the life of people through people. And those moments can make all the difference in your life. The Bible says in Proverbs 25, 11, that a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pitchers of silver. Let's look at another example in Scripture. Go with me to the Old Testament, the book of 1 Samuel Chapter 1. Last week we read a portion of this scripture as well as mothers and fathers came to dedicate their children. Hannah was a woman of God who cried out to God in prayer for a child. Look at verse 10 with me in 1 Samuel 1. It says, in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly, and she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. Look down at verse 24. It says, after he was weaned, the child, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord 
at Shiloh. This is an incredible moment. Hannah has made a commitment. God, if you'll give me a son, I'll give him back to you. We don't understand how that really works in our culture. But in that day, it was a, as they were awaiting the promised Messiah who would come, it was a sign of God's favor and blessing to give birth, especially to a son. That in itself was enough for her. She didn't even need to have the joy of raising the child all of his life. She just needed God to hear her desperate plea. But we don't understand part of the story because, again, there's something that's lost in the culture. When we think about a child being weaned, in that day and age, that might have taken up to eight months, maybe a year, maybe a little more for a child to be weaned off of its mother's milk. But there was two meanings to that term in this context. In this Eastern culture, to wean a child meant, yes, you were weaned off of your mother's milk, but also what it meant was in those early days, from the ages of two to five years old, a mother would teach their children the milk of the word of God. Think about this, the impact, and, and science has, has taught us the, the implications of early childhood development from two to five years old. Think of the beauty of this moment, of what Hannah was saying is, I'm going to take the time to wean my child off of milk, but I'm also going to take a few years to wean him in the word of God. See, Peter wrote letter, he said that we should, he said we should desire pure spiritual milk as babies. We should crave spiritual milk so that we may grow up in our salvation. And so Hannah was teaching her son the simple truths about God. And then one day she, she dropped him off at the temple. When she dropped her son off, she had no idea what kind of influence she was exposing him to. She thought he was going to be raised in a holy atmosphere, in a God-fearing atmosphere with the priest, Eli. What she had no way of knowing is how evil and how wicked Eli's sons were. In fact, if you look in chapter 2 of that book, it says in verse 12, very simply, Eli's sons were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. We won't take time to read it, but let me just tell you what was going on. These two young men were stealing money out of the offering plate. They were stealing the offerings that people were bringing. People would bring a sacrifice, and they would put it in their grocery bag. Not only that, these young men were sleeping with women in the church, and everybody knew about it. And this is the atmosphere that Hannah had dropped her son off with Eli in. And yet it says down in verse 18 and 19 of chapter 2, it says, but Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. Verse 19 says, each year his mother made him a little robe and she took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Can you just imagine how hard it would be to honor that vow? And every year she comes and she brings him a little, a little outfit. It's a little bit bigger than the one before. And she has some time to, to just speak into her son's life and to encourage him in the things of God, to remind him of the vow that she made and to encourage him in his own faith. It was an incredible commitment on her part. It was also an incredible commitment on his part as Samuel grew up in that atmosphere but he made a vow, a vow to honor the words his mother had spoken 
and to emulate that in his own heart. And as you get down to verse 26 in 1 Samuel chapter 2, it says a verse that sounds very familiar to us who have been studying Luke 2. It says in verse 26, and the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with people. He grew. He continued to grow because God used people. He used the priest, Eli, and he used his mother to speak into his word, and he cultivated an ear for the voice of God, so much so that in chapter 3 of 1 Samuel, the little boy is sleeping in the night, and he hears a voice call out to him, Samuel, Samuel, and he gets up, and he goes to Eli, and he asks him, you, you called me. Eli rubs the, rubs the sleepy out of his eyes and says, what are you talking about? Go back to bed. Three times the same scenario plays out, Samuel, Samuel, until finally Eli realizes what's happening for this young man is not even happening in my life right now. And he tells little Samuel, he says, go back to bed. But this time, when you hear that voice, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And in chapter 3, we see that's exactly what happened. Look at verse 10, 1 Samuel 3.10. It says, the Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. See, the question is not, is God speaking? The question is always, are we listening? I want to say it again, church. God wants to speak to you, and he wants to speak to you through other people. But the truth is... God not only wants to speak to you through other people, God wants to speak through you to other people. Can I just challenge you in, in the closing moments of this service to stretch your faith even a little bit farther beyond saying, God, you could speak to me through other people, to saying, God, you could speak through me to other people. Go with me to the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Paul is writing to the church about his plan, God's plan, for how the church is to operate. 1 Corinthians 14, we're going to begin in verse 1. Paul writes these instructions. He says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Now, let me just pause, because I'm talking about prophecy, but let me just say, speaking to God is pretty cool. And when you speak in tongues, you speak to God. But Paul is communicating something that we need to grab. He says, indeed, when you speak in a tongue, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies, verse 3 says, speaks to people for the strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Verse 4, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. Again, let me just pause and say, we all need to edify ourselves sometimes. It's good to speak in tongues. Just know that when you do it, it's building your faith, no one else's. Because he goes on to say, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. Verse 5, listen to this. I would like every one of you to speak 
in tongues. Now, we can't overlook that statement. There's a lot of us that would rather just say, well, you know, if speaking in tongues is for God and not people and it edifies me and not the church, maybe we shouldn't do it. Wait a minute. Paul says, I want all of you to do it. I want everybody to speak in tongues. But I want you to understand something about the way the gifts work. So when you do it, you just need to know it's God blessing you. It's not blessing the person next to you. And when you do it, you need to know it's for you. It's not for the church. It is edifying. It is powerful. But then he goes on to say in verse 5, but I would rather you prophesy. Because the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Can I just say today to you, it is a mistake to think that, that prophets are predictors of the future in a New Testament context. And, and the reason I would say that is because the gift of prophecy, as is explained in the New Testament, is that it's more of a foretelling than it is foretelling. We don't see people in the New Testament saying that, you know, on, on such and such a date, this is going to happen. We don't see people doing what, what Jonah did when he said, in 40 days, judgment is coming to Nineveh. That was the Old Testament office of a prophet. But this gift that the Bible says we should eagerly desire, especially the gift of prophecy, this is a gift, and I'm going to read it again in verse 3. This is a gift that it says, but the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. That's what a prophetic word is. It's a word that brings strength to your faith. It's a word that encourages you. And now it might be a hard word. It might be a challenging word, but it's always a redemptive word. It's not a condemning word. It's a word that strengthens you. It's a word that encourages you. It's a word that comforts you. The gift of prophecy is edifying. It's not insulting. Jewish philosophers didn't believe that prophetic gifts were reserved for a few select individuals. Becoming prophetic was seen as the crowning point of mental and spiritual development. The more people grow spiritually, the more prophetic they would become. That was the, the understanding of Jewish philosophers. And it makes sense when you read Numbers eleven twenty nine, and you hear Moses saying these words. He said, I wish that all of God's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on all of them. That was Moses' desire. Not that he would be the only one to get a word from God. He's going, boy, this would be so much better if all of you would just pray and let God speak to you and let God speak through you. Amen. I wish everybody was a prophet. And so Paul says, you ought to desire. You ought to desire to have God speak words of edification, words of encouragement, words of strengthening, words of comfort through you. You ought to seek that above every other gift. You ought to want to be used by God. Why? Because words matter, and we want to grow in wisdom, and God speaks through many voices. And sometimes he wants to speak through you. Now, let me say this about the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy is for confirmation and affirmation. It's not for direction. See, a lot of us, we shy away from prophecy because we think you know, a prophetic word is a word that says, you need to quit your job and you need to go work over there. Well, listen, if you give me that prophecy this week, 
I'm not going to do anything in response to it. Unless it's a confirmation and an affirmation of what God's already said to me. See, the Holy Spirit that enables you to prophesy is the same Holy Spirit that lives in me. Same Holy Spirit that lives in you. And so what happens when somebody operates in the gift of prophecy is the Spirit in you resonates with the Spirit in them. Just like when Mary, when she was six months pregnant with Jesus, came to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who was pregnant with John the Baptist. Same Holy Spirit was working. And when she heard Mary's voice, Elizabeth said, the baby in my womb just jumped. And when somebody comes operating in the gift of the Spirit, this has happened so many times to me, I can't explain it except to say it feels like something just kicked on the inside. Like, wow. wow. That's not brand new information. Elizabeth knew she was pregnant. But something just responded to the work of the Holy Spirit on the inside of her. So the gift of prophecy is, is for affirmation and confirmation of what God is saying. It's not for direction. I don't have time to go there, but I could prove it to you in the Apostle Paul's life. At the end of his life, everywhere he went, somebody would come up and prophesy. They would say, Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be bound in chains. Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be persecuted. Paul, if you go to Jerusalem. And then another guy even said he took Paul's belt off of his waist and, and he tied it around his hands. And he said, whoever owns this belt... This is what's going to happen to them if they go to Jerusalem. You know what Paul did? He went to Jerusalem. Because prophecy wasn't for direction. It was for confirmation and affirmation. The fact is, God had already told him he was supposed to go to Jerusalem. He didn't need a prophet to tell him not to do what God told him to do. Every one of those prophecies just confirmed, it's going to be a tough season. I'm hearing many people confirm that. It's going to be a tough season. But it doesn't change the will of God for my life. See, when you know the will of God for your life, you can stop praying for God to give clarity. I don't need God to tell me if I'm supposed to faithfully love my wife. Don't have to pray about that. This September, we'll be married 20 years. He's already spoken. I know God's plan for my marriage. I don't have to ask God if, if I should take care of my physical body. Lord, do you want me to eat right? No, don't have to pray about that. I don't need clarity. Now, sometimes I need courage. <laughs> I need conviction to do what I know to do. Amen? But I don't need to pray about it. I don't need to ask God, should I kill that man? Don't need to ask him that question. Should I steal that? No. Don't ask God to give you clarity about things that he's already communicated to you. What we can pray for is, is affirmation and confirmation and encouragement to do the things that God's already made clear to us that he wants us to do. Let me give you one more illustration. Last Sunday, someone came up to me after the first service, and they said, I have a word, a, a prophecy that God has given me for you. Could I come by sometime this week and, and share it with you? And I said, yeah, absolutely. And already, my confidence in this person's spirituality went way up. Because the Bible says the gift of the prophet is subject to the prophet. And I've seen a lot of people that they just, you know, interrupt something that God's doing so that they can exercise a gift. And the, the reason they have for that is they say, well, the Holy Spirit came on me. I couldn't help it. Yes, you can. Holy Spirit doesn't work that way. He spoke a word and they said, you know what? It would be a better time to release that word later this week. And so we did something really spiritual and mystical. We got out our phones and we set an appointment. 
And we said, yeah, I, I want that word. And so later in the week, she came to me and, and she, she said, this is the word that God spoke to me that I'm supposed to give to you. And, and I won't give you all the details, but let me tell you, the meat of it, the, the main gist of that word was Isaiah 61. And she encouraged me. She said, I feel like God wants to speak this over your life. You need to read this and pray Isaiah 61. Now, let me tell you how awesome the gift of prophecy is. I've already joked earlier about the fact that last Sunday, New Life Sunday, we had so much going on, and it was great. All the water baptisms, the child dedications, the new members. But I had 12 minutes to preach last Sunday. So I didn't, I didn't even look at my notes. I knew if I looked at them, it was like we'd never get out. So... You know, God's a God of miracles. I preached a 12-minute sermon last Sunday and did communion. Don't tell me God doesn't do miracles. Some of you are praying for a miracle right now. I know it. Going, hey. Listen. What she didn't know and what I didn't get to say in this 9 o'clock service, I did say in the 11 o'clock service. In the 11 o'clock service, I went to Isaiah 61. And I said, this is God's will for your life. And I began to read Isaiah 61. I began to read the portion of scripture that says, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. In other words, last, last week in preparation for last Sunday, I was praying and meditating on Isaiah 61. God, what do you want to say? What are you trying to say to me to, for the people? What are you saying this? And God's speaking to me about it. And then the prophetic word comes forward and says, God wants me to tell you to pray over Isaiah 61. See, that, that prophetic word was a nudge. It was an affirmation. It was a confirmation of, of what God was already saying to my heart. God was speaking. I want to challenge you today. I want to challenge you to pray two prayers. Two prayers. The first one is the prayer that Samuel prayed. It's a prayer that says, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Would you actually be willing to hear God speak to you. Now, now, all of us would line up if we said God wants to speak to you out of his audible voice. I would love to have God speak to me through an audible voice, but I never have. Now, now maybe there's somebody here that has. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. I'm saying it's few and far between. Most of us will never hear the audible voice of God. But oftentimes, God does speak through audible voices, and we don't listen. God was speaking to Jesus through his mother. God was speaking to little Samuel through his mother. God wants to speak into your life. Would you be willing to pray that prayer today to say, Lord, speak, for your servant is listening. And the second prayer that I would encourage you to pray is a prayer that says, Lord, Speak through me. I'm listening. I wonder if you would be so bold as to allow the Holy Spirit to speak through your life. A word of encouragement. A word of strengthening. A word of comfort. If time permitted, I could just go on and on. I could tell you about moments that God spoke a word to me 
at the moment I need a word of encouragement, a word of affirmation, a word of confirmation. And oftentimes, more than not, it's through the people of God. God wants to speak, and, and here's why. He wants us to grow in wisdom. He wants us to grow in wisdom. And to grow in wisdom, we've got to hear his voice. And I, I will say this, and I didn't major on this today, but I can't, it can't be overstated. There is no voice, no voice, dreams, visions, prophecies, rainbows, no voice that God speaks with that is louder or clearer than the word of God. This is the authority. Any word that doesn't line up with this word, not a word from God. Real easy. It's not a word from God. Can't tell you how many times I've had people sit down in counseling sessions with me and say, yeah, but I really feel like God wants me to. You don't have to pray about it. God said, don't do it. It's right there. God said, don't do it. Yeah, but you don't understand our situation. I feel like he wants me. He doesn't want you to. <laughs> it's right there. It's, it's very clear. He doesn't, he, doesn't want, he doesn't want that. The Holy Spirit never leads us away from this word. And though this is the final and authoritative word, God wants to speak through people. And I want to pray for you at the conclusion of this service. And I just feel like maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit is trying to speak to someone today about their relationship with Jesus. And maybe like Samuel, you've heard it, but you didn't hear it. You know what I'm saying? This isn't your first sermon. This isn't even the first uh, opportunity that you've had maybe to give your heart and life to Jesus. Maybe the Holy Spirit's woke you up out of spiritual sleep three times already. But can I stand in proxy as the priest, Eli, and say, listen, this time when he speaks, say, Lord, speak. Your servant is listening. I want you to bow your head with me and close your eyes all over this room. And I want to, I want to just simply give you an opportunity today. If you're far from God, if you've rejected his voice, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, or maybe you've just resisted surrendering your life to him. You've got a long list of reasons and a long list of excuses. I want to tell you today. If he's calling you, all you have to do, all you have to do is respond and say, Lord, speak. I'm listening. I'm listening. And can I tell you what the Holy Spirit's saying? I don't have to guess. It's in his word. The Holy Spirit is convicting us of sin and unrighteousness. And that's not comfortable, but it's necessary because the Bible says it's that sin and it's that unrighteousness that separates us from God. He's holy. He's righteous. And so the only way that we can draw near to God is to turn away from our sin. And if the Spirit is speaking to you today about making that turn away from sin and towards God, right now in your heart, just pray that prayer. Say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. We're listening, God. Lord, before you speak to anyone in this place about correcting their lifestyle or about letting go of bad habits or about making up for undone deeds, God, today, speak a word of love. 
Did you hear that today? That's the message that the cross communicates, that he loves you, that he gives everything for you. Just receive his love. Nothing you can do to earn it. Nothing you can do to forfeit it. He loves you. Deal with it. He loves you. Hear that today. Speak, Lord. We're listening. God, help us to live in response to that word. Help us to live in response to grace. Help us to live in response to forgiveness. Lord, help us to arise clean and whole and forgiven and to turn from sin and to pursue righteousness with all of our energy and effort. Because our lives are no longer our own. They were bought with a price. The precious blood of Jesus was shed for us. Speak, Lord, your servants listening. Now I want to invite everyone today to pray this second prayer with me. It's a bold prayer to say, Lord, speak through me. I'm listening. Speak through me. Father, thank you that when you speak through your church, when you speak through people, all we have to do is be us and be obedient. Thank you, Lord God, that we don't have to raise our voice, some bombastic tone and speak in King James English and say, thus saith the Lord. God, give us a humble spirit to simply listen for your word and obey your prompting to speak words of encouragement, words of strengthening, words of comfort. It's as easy as filling out that Mother's Day card. It can be the right word in the right moment that heals a heart, that confirms your will, that speaks life. God, in the altars, in the cafe, in the classroom, in our conversations, in our life groups, God, speak through us. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Amen. I want to ask you to stand. We're not dismissed quite yet. I want, I want to give you one final encouragement. Would you stand with me today? This, this is going to feel weird for some of you, but listen, the response today is, is not to come to the altar. Though the altars are open, they always are. You can come and pray today. We'd love to pray with you. But the response, if you're a believer, is to look for an opportunity for God to speak a word through you. I want to challenge you with that. Again, you don't have to say, God told me to tell you. In fact, I never say that. That makes me nervous. I mean, I'm serious. I understand that God's speaking through me right now. But when I say God told me to tell you, I, I just feel like I just kind of, I kind of pulled out the trump card. Like, you have to listen to me now. I, I love the way uh, Dick Foth prophesies. He's a spiritual mentor to Mark Batterson. And, and oftentimes he'll say, if 10 is God and one is both, this is about a four. And then he'll say what's on their heart. 
In other words, you know, I, I was talking with somebody this week, and, and I just felt a prompting to tell them something. I said, I said this is probably like 60% God right now, but just hear what's on my heart. I want to just give you that liberty. So, you know what? Let God use you. Let God speak through you. It may be the nudge that someone needs to lean in to all that God has called them to be. So, Father, I pray today as we take this challenge and go out of this place today, it may happen around the lunch table today. God, speak through your church. Speak through your people. God, help us to become naturally supernatural because we have a Holy Spirit of Jesus that lives on the inside of us. And your word tells us to eagerly desire those gifts that are going to edify the church. So God, speak through us. Speak to us. For your glory and honor. And for the strengthening of your body. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 Are you going to do it this week? Come on. Praise God. Amen.